Let us turn to God as I read the prayer of illumination. O God, your word is more precious than fine gold and sweeter than purest honey. As we turn to your scripture, send your Holy Spirit to infuse your word with truth and grace so that the good news of your love would shine before our eyes and delight our senses so that we cannot help but respond with wonder, faith, and trust. Amen. The first scripture reading, this from the Old Testament, is Psalm 30, which in the Pew Bibles would be found on pages 494 and 495. Psalm 30, a song of the dedication, at the dedication of the temple of David. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and did not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you brought up my soul from Sheol, restored me to life from among those gone down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O ye faithful, o you faithful ones, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you had established me as a strong mountain. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cried, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have taken off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy so that my soul may praise you and not be silent. O Lord, my God. I give thanks to you forever. The word of the Lord. Thanks, thanks be to God. Our second lesson is from the Gospel of John. <clears throat> Reading, I'm going to read the entirety of John, uh, the 21st chapter, the last chapter of John. This is on page... 989 in a pew Bible, and I would encourage you to keep your Bible open in front of you for the sermon today. Uh, it might help you in seeing where we're going. In fact, I encourage people to bring their own Bibles when they come to worship. Use it as a tool. Take notes in it in your margin. It'll prove to be a lot more helpful to you if you do that every week. Beginning at verse 1, <clears throat> after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He showed himself in this manner. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. 
They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? They answered, No. He said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and he jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the full net of fish, for they were not far from land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled a net to shore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fashion your own belt and go wherever you wish. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. He was the one who had reclined next to Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. So the rumor spread in the community that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if it is my will that he should remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is testifying to these things and has written them, and we know that his testimony is true. But there are also many other things that Jesus did. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If today's scripture lesson sounds somewhat familiar to you, then that may be a good sign. It could indicate at least a couple of things. It could indicate that you participated in our Lenten small group studies this year, which were based on the Gospel of John using Adam Hamilton's book, which closed with the quotation from this last chapter. It uh, could mean that. It could mean that you were present in worship on Low Sunday last, last week because I used this same passage of Scripture, approaching it from a different direction than I am this morning. So it could mean that you were here last week. Um, so... Anyway, if, if it sounds familiar, I'm glad that it does, but um, 
I'm spending two weeks on this. Actually, I'm going to spend a third week. I don't know when I'm going to get around to it, but eventually I'm going to return to the 21st chapter and look at the closing verses because I think they warrant uh, a lesson just in and of themselves. But last week, and low Sunday, I was really dealing with the topic, the topic of depression. And so, as preachers aren't supposed to do, I went to the Bible looking for a text to support what I wanted to say. Uh, we're not trained to do that in seminary. The message is supposed to come forth from the Word, okay? But occasionally, if the topic demands some kind of attention, you go and look for where it's dealt with in, in the Bible. At any rate, I want you to reflect with me this morning on the mystery of the epilogue. The mystery of the epilogue. So with your Bibles open, look there at the last verses of the 20th chapter. It may be entitled in your Bible, The Purpose of This Book. Some Bibles uh, include that. And there you will read as follows. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. Now that sounds like a pretty fitting conclusion to the Gospel of John, doesn't it? And indeed, many Bible scholars believe that is where the Gospel of John originally ended. That all of chapter 21 was added later. Either by John or by one of his disciples, because John had his own disciples who studied under him. But there's something in this 21st chapter that was believed to be so important that it couldn't be left out of the Gospels. It had to be added and included. And there's even some suggestion at the close of the chapter. Uh, the word we is used. Who are the we that are saying they know this is true, what they're writing here? That could be his disciples. And they speak of John in the third person rather than um, first person. So there are several indications that maybe there was another hand that added this epilogue. But regardless of the fact, it's part of Scripture. Whether John wrote it or one of his disciples, there's something here for your edification and for mine. What we find in the 21st chapter of John is what is called the third resurrection appearance of Jesus. Um, he came to his disciples, Peter and six others, as they were, had gone back to the routine of their lives. They, their master had died, and yes, he had been risen, but what did that mean for them? How would they continue to continue without his physical presence and what would be expected of them now. Maybe they would just go back to doing what they'd always done and fishing in the Sea of Tiberias or Galilee, whatever. It's called different things in the New Testament. Now, there are elements of this, the stories that appear in the 21st chapter that they ought to sound familiar to you as well if you're familiar with the balance of the Gospels uh, because some of these stories are reminiscent of other stories very similar to them. There is another miraculous catch of fish when Jesus tells his disciples to throw their net on the other side of the boat. That occurs in the fifth chapter of Luke. There is another occasion when Jesus sat down and ate fish and bread with his disciples beside the sea. There is another account of Simon Peter getting out of the boat and going to his Lord. You remember the storm on the Sea of Galilee? where he gets out of the boat, starts walking on the water, notices the wind and the waves, and sinks into the sea. I listened one time to William Sloan Coffin from Yale was preaching on this passage, and he said, I, th I, I think it would be fascinating if later research should reveal that it was this moment that Jesus changed Peter's name to the rock when he sank into the sea. But no, that's beside the point. Um, 
But at any rate, Peter gets out of the boat. Now, we see something additional here. It says he put on his clothes and jumped into the sea. Now, we would think, well, why don't you take off your clothes and jump into the water? But no, he put on his clothes. Apparently, the custom back then was fishing in the nude. So that may be too much information. Um, I've been around a good many bass fishermen in my life, and when they head out simply with a cooler full of Budweiser, that's dangerous enough. You don't need to add nudity to the mix to... I mean, that's really dangerous. Uh, but at any rate, um, there's another occasion where Peter jumps into the water, as, as we know. But what really intrigues me about this chapter is not so much what is said, but why it is said. Why was this added? There had to have been a reason for John or for his disciples. Some have suggested the reason is found in verses 20 through 23 where the writers try to set straight the rumor that John is not going to die. Apparently there was a rumor circulating that this disciple would live until Jesus returned, and therefore he was immortal. Uh, and so the point is made, Jesus did not say he would not die. What he said was, what business is, uh, is it of yours, Peter, if John should li live until I return? So this final chapter does kind of put that rumor to rest. Um, another reason it might have been included is that this is the only resurrection appearance of Jesus that takes place up in the north, up in Galilee. All the other resurrection appearances were in uh, Judah, in the south of Israel. You know, there are three different sections of Israel. There's a Galilee and Samaria and Judah. It may not surprise some South Carolinians here to learn that there was no love lost between the north and the south. <laughs> that was in Israel, not just America, but... In Israel, And so if the only resurrection appearances you have are told with a southern drawl, if you will, how credible would that be to followers, potential followers of Jesus up in the north? And not only that, but this passage, this, the addition of this chapter, brings about the fulfillment of a promise that Jesus had made. You may remember that the angel at the tomb on Easter morning told the women, go tell his disciples and Peter, underscore and Peter, that he is going to Galilee. He will meet you there. So if we didn't have this 21st chapter, we would never know that Jesus kept that promise, that he did uh, appear to his disciples and to Peter uh, in Galilee. There's yet another reason why this chapter may have been included. And this is the one that really touches me and speaks to my heart, spurs my imagination um, chapter 21 reveals how the risen Lord dealt with one of his disciples whom he trusted the most perhaps who re he relied on the most and who had failed him in a very public and powerful way when as jo uh, Bob reminded the children three times he had denied his Lord Although he was the one, the braggadocio, that said in the upper room, Oh, I'll never desert you, even if all the others do, not me. So it's his own arrogance and ego that makes his betrayal of his Lord, his denial of his Lord, so much more egregious, I think. So three times, Jesus gives to Peter the opportunity to affirm his love. He had denied him three times. Three times he asked him, Do you really love me, Peter? If you do, feed my lambs, care for my sheep, 
Look after my flock. Be concerned about the ones that I'm leaving behind, the little ones. Those words apply to us as much as they did to Peter. Do you love the Lord? It's not just your profession of love that matters. Anyone can say they love Jesus. What are you really doing about it? Are you tending his lambs? Are you feeding his sheep? Maybe some of you want to volunteer to work in vacation Bible school this, this summer. That's an opportunity to do that. There are a lot of opportunities in this church to do that. How do you demonstrate your love of the Lord? Now, in case there were any doubts before you get to the epilogue of John, we should have known from the get-go that our God is in the forgiveness business. And Jesus is forever doing reclamation projects, reconciliation projects, restoration projects. God does this throughout the scriptures, actually. God is, our God is a God of second chances. We may fail, and who of us doesn't? But that doesn't mean that we're failures. We may fall short of what we're supposed to be and do, but that doesn't mean that God can't forgive us and can't use us, maybe in, in a stronger fashion in the future. Because maybe our failure, whether it was private or public, helps us to deal with our own ego and arrogance, to pretend that we are maybe better than other people. A friend sent me a quote recently that says this from Robert Louis Stevenson. I've never heard it. Saints are sinners who kept on going. Think about that. Saints are sinners who kept on going. Perhaps it was Peter's experience beside Lake Tiberias that enabled the sinner in Peter to change course and to become what you and I know as Saint Peter. Because the fact remains, the truth remains, that we all fail and fall short of what we're supposed to be and do as followers of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we deny Christ accidentally, sometimes unknowingly, sometimes even intentionally. We feel worthless. We feel ashamed that we've betrayed the Lord. We think there's no hope for us in the future. But God comes to us again and again trying to restore his relationship with us and to put us back to work in the vineyard. He is always pursuing us, no matter how many times we say no or try to avoid that call. It's like Francis Thompson's immortal poem about the hound of heaven. I fled him down the nights, down the days, down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind. And he keeps hearing these feet that are following after him, pursuing him, talking about God, chasing him. So our God is always using people who have failed and fallen. It's the only kind of people he has available to him. And the scriptures are full of that. That's what I love about the, uh, the Bible. It, it's no artificial heroes and heroines here. These are people just like you and me who have failed in so many different ways. Lest we forget, God is always picking them up and cleaning them off and sending them out, out, out to work. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was old and impotent. Jacob was a liar and a cheat. Leo would not ever win a beauty contest, not even in North Charleston as a girl from out of town, if you read the paper. Joseph was arrogant and was a spoiled brat. David was an accomplice to murder and an adulterer. Naomi was a wandering widow without a family or a future. John the Baptist lived in the wilderness 
ate locusts and wore camel's hair. Here was a man in bad need of a new menu and a new wardrobe. And Zacchaeus, let me remind you, on April 15th, was a tax collector that everybody loves, right? He was hated by everyone in town. And yet he wasn't hated by Jesus. He saw a purpose for Zacchaeus. Called him down for the tree. Went and visited in his home. And Zacchaeus resolved that he was going to live differently in the future than he had lived in the past. Martha was a worrier. Paul was a religious fanatic who was a persecutor of the church. Lazarus was dead for Pete's sake. And Jesus restored him and used him. So this brings us back to this possible reason for the inclusion of the 21st chapter, the epilogue, into the John's Gospel. I think it is highly probable that this was included for Pete's sake. To restore Peter. Peter was the one who needed more than any of the other apostles to know of his forgiveness. Judas was, Judas was already dead by this point. Judas's mistake was he didn't hang on long enough to learn about Easter. But Peter had denied his Lord three times. He was the leader of the apostles. He would be so again. He would be the leader of the early church. And his fellow apostles needed to know that the Lord had dealt with Peter and forgiven him. And commissioned him to continue his work by feeding his lambs and tending his sheep. Peter is such an important figure in the New Testament. A part of the inner circle and the one who is mentioned first. Peter, James, and John. It's always Peter who comes first. It was Peter who in the confession in Caesarea Philippi when Jesus said, Who do people say that I am? And some say, Oh, you're Elijah or you're this, you're that. No, who do you say that I am? And Peter issues his confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you didn't get that by flesh and blood. That came to you from above, a higher source. And on this rock I will build my church. Now the Catholic position on that is that it was talking about the man Peter. Uh, Protestants tend to think it was that confession, that faith of, of Peter that was the foundation for the church. But it doesn't matter. Peter was important. And a leader of the apostles. And Peter needed to know and his fellow apostles needed to know that Jesus had dealt mercifully with him and had restored him. In fact, he went looking for Peter. Again, the angel at the tomb. Go tell Peter and his disciples. Peter needed this message. Maybe more so than others. But we all need the message. You and I need it as well. And you know the fascinating thing about this final chapter of John that intrigues me is this. You can read in 1 Corinthians 15, 5 that the risen Lord appeared to Cephas. Now Cephas is just the aromatic name of Peter. Same person, same name in a different <coughs> language. You can read at the end of Luke when the Emmaus disciples rushed back to Jerusalem to tell the, their fellow disciples that they have seen the risen Lord. He had been with them. They would broken bread with him. They tell these two that Jesus has already appeared to, to uh, Simon. Peter's other name. So we have Simon, Simon Peter, Cephas. All the same person. Okay. Where is that recorded in the Gospels? Apparently there was a resurrection appearance of Jesus to Peter. Earlier than this one in Galilee later. So this may, what we read this morning may in fact be the second time Jesus tries to reach out to Peter. 
And wouldn't you like to be privy to that first encounter between Jesus and Peter? It's not revealed in any of the scriptures we have thus far. If we should happen to find a new text or scroll as we were talking about last Wednesday, maybe we'll be exposed to that. But it's not in any of our extant gospels now. William Barclay has written in his little book, The Master's Men, No one will ever know when Peter met his risen Lord, but Peter must have found the forgiveness beyond reason that can meet the sin beyond excuse. Now, I hate to disagree with Barclay because he's one of my heroes, but I don't think it was that earlier encounter where Peter experienced the forgiveness. I think it was at this encounter in Galilee beside Lake Tiberias where Peter learns that his Lord forgives him and maybe even he can forgive himself because that's sometimes the hardest task, not simply accepting our acceptance in Jesus Christ, but accepting ourselves and owning our mistakes and our our failings. And so it is that John 21 may be the only glimpse we have of Jesus encountering the Apostle Peter after the resurrection. And he wasn't as bad as he might have assumed. He was just like us. Yes, he betrayed his Lord. He denied him three times. But he actually hung around for longer than the other disciples had. They had all fled into the back alleys of Jerusalem after Jesus was arrested in the garden. Peter at least made it to the courtyard. And it was there when they recognized him as an associate of Jesus. He said, oh, no, I don't don't know the man. Well, what does this message say to you as we gather? I think it underscores the fact that Jesus did then what he does now. He comes into the ordinary circumstances of our lives, whether we're fishing, working in the kitchen, working in the garden, making a call, and somehow he assures us that he still loves us in spite of what we've done. And not only that, he wants to use us to continue his work of caring and feeding for his lambs. Jesus has turned many folks around, 180 degrees. One such person will sing his hymn. We will sing it and the youth will sing it. Amazing Grace, John Newton. I don't know if you know the story of John Newton. He was converted in a big storm at sea. He was a sea captain, 1748. And the kind of ships that he captained were slave ships. He was engaged in the dirty business of the slave trade. And following his conversion, he struggled with that. But his transformation did not take place immediately. It was some 10 years later before he finally gave up all interest in being involved in the slave trade. He would come to Charleston while his cargo was being sold on the auction block across the waters. He would roam around the forest and woods and I said hill earlier. Someone said, where's that hill in Mount Pleasant? I don't know. Someone climbed Mount Pleasant one time. I saw a bumper sticker that said that. Uh, But anyway, he, he, he loved to wander around in this part of the woods, and he loved to interview a clergy, maybe whoever was serving this congregation back in those days, a minister from Wapata, met John Newton and talked with him about the slave trade. One of his letters does say he talked with a, uh, Joseph Smith, who was a Presbyterian minister serving at what is now the Circular Congregation downtown. But at any rate, he struggled. He had compassion and pity for these slaves that he was capturing and selling. 
But it took him 10 years to really get away from it completely. He went and spoke to Parliament. And he said, God Almighty will sink this nation if it continues to engage in the slave trade. When he was dying, he said this. My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. I am a great sinner. Christ is a great Savior. On the shores of Tiberias, the Apostle Peter came to the conclusion that he had been forgiven when Jesus speaks to him in tact and tenderness and gives him the opportunity to affirm his love and to show his love through continuing the work that Jesus came to do. That is the opportunity all of us sinners have this day as well. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.